welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Picard, Star Trek Prodigy, Strange New Worlds, and more. I'm co-host Cicero Holmes, and I'm joined again by my number one, Tyler Monaghan. Hey, Ty, how you doing? Hey, I, I went back in the time stream since our last episode, and I made one change, and okay. it's up to you this episode to figure out what that change is. So, All right. Good the luck. Number 15 is stuck in my head for some reason. I don't know why. You're a genius. Uh, <laughs> and uh, making his very first appearance on our bridge is, uh, you know, before I met Chris Clow, the, the one person that I knew who I absolutely knew uh knew more star trek than i did and was a was a font of star trek knowledge is here with us today and uh he is both of our friends ali nagib ali how are you doing man i'm doing well thanks for having me very kind words thank you oh please uh kind kind and accurate so uh well welcome aboard and uh as as is the right for any new guest, uh, the the little bit of hazing is for you to tell us a bit a little bit about yourself and how your love for Star Trek for the franchise began, and uh, the the infamous two parter favorite TV series and favorite movie. Sure, uh, yeah. So I started Star Trek kind of late. I mean, I started watching it in high school, and I uh, I caught on to next gen right after it ended and so i started watching it like immediately in syndication and then pretty and so i caught up pretty quickly because at those you know even at that time it was you know an episode a night five nights a week at least you know in the evening so it was pretty easy to uh it was pretty easy to catch up but then uh yeah i caught up uh started watching ds9 about halfway through and watched that through to the end and, uh, yeah, I, I really got into those two shows and in, in particular at first, you know, next gen the most, I never really watched a lot of the original series until later. I'd probably seen a stray episode here or there. Um, and I definitely seen some of the original series movies, uh, but not, you know, more than once probably. So yeah, I mean, got into next gen really, really liked the end of DS nine. I think I kind of got into DS nine at a good point where the, the most, I mean, it, it was good from the beginning really in a lot of ways, but you know, right. it was really picking up momentum with, with the serialized plots and, and doing things that were, were different uh, from what a lot of other shows were doing then. And uh, especially for Star Trek, but even in right. general. And uh, yeah, I, we our cl- our uh, high school had a Star Trek club. It was really easy to start clubs at our school and people would do clubs just for the heck of it. And uh, so, yeah, it was uh, getting together. Somebody would bring a tape of an episode of VHS tape and uh, you know, we had a we had a sponsor that was you know the the sponsor who would uh, you know do the fun clubs and stuff like that, so we could uh, you know get a TV with a VCR and in a room and someone be assigned to bring snacks and we'd get together. And I remember organizing a uh, a, a trip a club trip to uh, see First Contact when that came out. So that was oh. definitely the first movie I like clearly as a fan remember seeing in the theater i might have seen i probably saw voyage home in the theater but um as a kid but didn't like you know really get into it at that point and so yeah so uh from there i just sort of really mostly those two shows for a long time uh and then what now that we've had this sort of you know and the next gen movies 
And then now that we've had this whole resurgence, it's sort of, you know, going back and finishing Voyager and watching uh, uh, all of the other stuff. And, and um, yeah, so been, been, been a pretty big fan all along from there since high school yeah. and uh, conventions. We've also, I think we also had a, a club trip to a convention. So I've been doing those for 25 years. Wow. And uh, yeah. So, all right. So, all right. So I, I got to ask this question. So how many Star Trek conventions have you been to? Uh, probably not more than 10, probably like eight or wow. 10 over. Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> number, but spread out, right? Like, there, you know, I went to a couple when I was younger, high school, college, and then sure. a few, few here and there in the all right. middle and then a few more recently. So yeah, all I mean, right. I like to go. It's not something I need to travel for or go to, right. but we've been lucky in Chicago having, uh, most of the time having pretty good convention coverage for, for Star Trek. So yes, um, it's been pretty easy to just go. To, I mean, I even my my uh probably the funniest one i went to was uh love trek in uh champagne back when you could run a, a whole star trek convention in champagne illinois uh, college <laughs> town and uh so yeah when i was living down there for school i went to that one and um that was love trek and it was supposed to be um Andy Robinson, Garrick it was supposed to be right. Sadig Bashir and it was supposed to be uh Nicole Debor Ezri <laughs> Which even at the time we're like, wow, what a great combination for love track to like just bring those three people together, right? And, you know the characters and all that, right? Well, it's <laughs> like, especially what a crazy love like triangle. Twenty years ago for them to do that, right? Exactly. Right. And so, uh, and then uh, unfortunately, Sadig had to cancel, so Armin was a pro and showed up instead. But that was that was a fun little you know like handful of main guests, small nice. convention. So it was very, you know. Nice. Small scale. Like the actors were like at the dinner, the actors just be like walking around hanging out and Wow. So that's awesome. That's amazing. It's almost like uh like a cruise or something. Uh so yeah. uh so are you connected to New Trek now? Are you you're fully in? Obviously we're gonna talk about Picard. So I know you're watching Picard, but are you watching any of the of the newer shows now? Yeah, I've watched uh I've watched all of Lower Decks, which is fantastic, and I've okay. watched all of Prodigy, which was really good, and I'm very curious to see where that goes. I'm still getting caught up on discovery. So right. unfortunately I don't have a lot to say about, uh, about that, but uh, yeah, otherwise I'm pretty well caught up on most of it and the right most of the movies. Right on. Okay. Uh, do you have a favorite movie? Is it first contact? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're different. Like it's hard to say, you know, sure. Uh, Voyage home is funnier. Um, right. But yeah, I'd say First Contact is probably the one I like the best. Uh, I think for all of us, the one you see with your school Star Trek club is the one that yeah. always stays. <laughs> yes. When you personally went in advance and bought the t- you know, hand right. tickets or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> really. If it's yeah. not obvious, I'm so jealous. That- right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, thanks a lot, Ali. So I hope everyone show, favorite show would be oh, uh, yeah. DS nine. Yeah. As far as the series go, I mean, probably you correct know, answer with the newer, with the newer ones. It's hard to say, you know, lower decks is so different. Like I can't, right. Know, it's right. hard to compare them better or worse. Um, but, uh, yeah, DS nine, I think was the most balanced, had the most interesting characters. And, uh, like I said, I mean, it's not, it was never as serialized except maybe the very end as we're seeing with the, the current right. shows like Picard um, right. where they're shorter run and they're really like taught stories or like we saw in like later seasons of enterprise. Uh, but, uh, 
yeah, it it really had that right balance of yes. the supporting characters and the running plots and the strong, you know, main cast and just sort of a good good balance all over as far as the storytelling and the different, you know, getting getting interesting uh, you know, sort of, you know, the friendly aliens, you know, doing interesting Klingon stuff, interesting Ferengi stuff, and also, you know, the good villains, uh, and especially, you know, the actors playing the villains are all fantastic. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I agree completely. Very, very well said, my friend. And and the established villains. I mean, that's really the thing. Like, the right. fact that they have established it, um, and keep them going because none of the other shows really had that. You know, they might have the bad guys or you know a recurring character once in a while, but for the most part. You know, Commander Tomalock of the Romulans. Romulans just doesn't have the same like staying power as uh, <laughs> as Alimo or Jeff Combs or somebody like right, that. Right, right, yeah, uh, yeah. The uh, legendary Jeffrey Combs. Uh, so uh, I hope everyone has had a chance to listen to our last episode where we had a chance to recap season four of Star Trek Discovery with special guest Moises Chulian. Uh, it was a great conversation, but he's an even greater human being. Um, and uh, yeah, so like, guys, we're, we're, we're here today to talk about the latest two episodes of season two of Star Trek Picard. And while we've finally been given a respite of simultaneous releases on Paramount Plus of Star Trek shows, it doesn't mean that Paramount Plus has stopped releasing genre shows at the same time. This brings us right to our news. Paramount Plus has a new tentpole series for which it is trying to gain new subscribers. The long-awaited Halo series aired its pilot episode and is being distributed by Paramount Plus and being released on Thursday right beside the Star Trek shows. Why do you think that Paramount Plus has decided that Sci-Fi Thursdays is what their consumers are expecting? Ty, I'll, I'll start with you, man. Yeah, <clears throat> it's it's hard to say, right? I, but it's it kind of seems like maybe they think that they are, uh, like somebody at Paramount Plus thinks that they're developing like a shadow lineup you know like must see sci-fi thursdays with with like at least uh you know two episodes of new sci-fi every thursday but they just like have have never told anybody else that you know <laughs> uh i thought halo was coming out on a friday so i was shocked that it came out thursday and that i had you know both picard and halo to watch uh you know, I guess it's fine as long as you can avoid spoilers on things. That's the big thing for me. Like, I'd, sure. I'm probably not going to watch two shows that I'm really interested in on the same night. Generally, I'm going to space them out uh, over over the week or the weekend. Um, and so, you know, as long as I can kind of avoid getting anything majorly spoiled, uh, I guess that's fine to have the flexibility to do that. But, you know, it all just goes back to the Paramount Plus thing for me. And, I, you know, I have uh, another complaint about Paramount Plus that we haven't talked about yet, if we want to uh, get into that. But, you know, oh, Thursdays, yeah, please. Please go I'll just, well, it, I mean, it's easy. It's very simple, right? And that's right. the commercials are uh, like 60% louder than the shows. And so I have to sit oh. there with the remote. I don't pay for the ad free one. I have to sit right. there with the remote in my hand and every, you know, 10, 15 minutes, whatever, uh, 
turn the volume down as quickly as I can before <laughs> like that Ozempic song starts playing really loud or whatever. You know? Well, it's such a catchy tune. It's in the Um Yeah. I, I, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that uh, they're trying to incentivize you to, to upgrade to the, to the ad free version, because that doesn't happen with the ad free version. You get a trailer for a another Paramount Plus show that may or may not have anything to do with the genre that you're currently watching, um, and that lasts for about thirty seconds or so, and then you're onto the, onto the show. So that is something that uh, they aren't doing for like it's bad for the app, but it's not something that they're doing to everyone. It is something that they're doing to incentivize. Yeah, I'm well aware everyone. that they want me to yeah. watch the equalizer at this point. It doesn't really. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Ollie, what about, what about you? Do you, do you have any like insight into the minds of the Paramount plus brain trust? Um, well, I, I think it's, I mean, I'm really curious sort of across these different streaming services because how the numbers are playing out in terms of, you know, views on the first day versus something's put out versus subsequent, whether it's done as one episode, you know, per week on the same day, whether it's done in, you know, chunks. Uh, we just finished watching Our Flag Means Death and that was done in like two to three episode chunks, but they were short, so it worked out okay. Um, that show's really good, by the way. And uh, so, I but I'm curious, like, or if they just release, you know, the whole season at once for whatever show they're doing. And then across these different services, like, how does it impact? Like, does it make any difference in terms of the viewership? Or is it just... Right, right. So, so I don't know yet. It, like, you'd think if, if it clearly made a difference doing it one way or the other, that they'd eventually all gravitate to doing that. But that hasn't happened, and they've been doing this for a while. So I'm not so sure. I, I feel like it's one of those things where, like, the difference is, you know, depending on the show, depending on how you want to build suspense depending on how you want to space out your, your pacing, you know, uh, encouraging people to binge it right off the bat versus, you know, forcing them to wait 10 weeks or whatever to watch all of Picard and so forth. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes. I, I think it, if you're going to have a single day, if you're still going to have these, you know, most or some significant number of your shows released, you know, once a week on a single day when they're in their season, um, I do think like them doing sci-fi Thursday or, I mean, bring back TGIF. Why not? Um, so, you know, any of these, any of these, these things that they've done over the years with, with traditional broadcast television, uh, I think they can, they can look at, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So Ty, were you, was there, were you I just think, say you know, Rachel talked about it. Rachel Cloud talked about it really I, I thought well a couple of episodes ago when she just said you can really see that this is a tv studio that made a streaming service to watch yes. tv studio content right. as opposed to a technology company that right. has also you know gotten into the business of funding uh media projects and so right. like you really I, I don't know you do get this feeling like they are on this they're they're living in this world where they have to have set seasons and they have to have things that come out on this set weekly schedule. Um, I haven't even seen for Paramount Plus series like Halo. It doesn't even seem like they announce whether it's going to come out all at once or weekly because the assumption just seems to be that it's going to be a weekly show, just as if it were announced for broadcast television. Right. So I think you can really see, you know, just kind of the roots of this like this service as something that grew out of tv channel you know not not as a technology first product 
Sure. I well, you know the the thing as I was listening to Ali uh, talk about how their how like the metrics work. Um, the one thing that that I kept thinking about was I'm perfectly fine with a with an organization with a you know with a media application or you know content delivery device. Who knows what we're calling a subscription service? I'm fine with them deciding that we're going to be episodic, right? It's going to be appointment viewing for for watching this this uh these shows and these series. And appointment viewing is different in the subscription and the streaming age than it was in the television age because it was a day and a time. And now it's just the day. And I'm fine with that. And I'm also fine with them deciding that it is sci-fi Thursdays. What I'm not fine with is the lack of messaging behind it, right? So if you're not going to tell me, hey, right? Like if you're not going to hit me with the media blast of we're doing, you know, we've got our sci-fi stuff coming out on Thursdays, make sure you check our 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 site, our, our app, um, you know, our service for these shows on this day because that's when they come out, then what's the point of doing that? It, to me, it makes more sense to stagger those things. So now you've got people coming and engaging with your your content and your service on multiple days because, like Ty said, they don't you don't I don't want to get spoiled. So if I because I don't want to get spoiled, I'm going to try and watch the sh- the new show that I'm really excited about that comes out once once a week the day that it comes out or as quickly as possible so I don't get spoiled. But if it's too hour-long, you know, thought-provoking, really dense shows, I can't consume them both on the same day, right? So, like, you know, why would you do that to me? Uh, you know, especially since Paramount Plus doesn't have enough content to really warrant doing multiple big AAA um, you know, tent pole series on the same day because it sounds like you the know, words of somebody who's sleeping on the high quality programming, such as the equalizer. Available <laughs> on here. Uh, the other thing I think is a missed opportunity and maybe, maybe I'm the only audience for this, but would be, you know, you'd, you'd obviously have to like opt in and confirm your friendship, but like, Cis, you know, Cicero, if you and I, like if I could see on my Paramount plus app, Hey, Cicero has watched this episode. Right. That would be a cool thing to know. Mm-hmm. And to be, cause like, I, that's one thing I really miss. Like, you know, to me, game of Thrones is the most recent thing right. where it was like, you could pretty safely assume like a day or two after that had become available on, on HBO that people had seen that. And it was sort of an event yes. and you could have that social experience of talking about a show with your friends. And that becomes genuinely hard to do. I mean, so much of the conversation still for me, discovery were four seasons into discovery. Uh, so like we're, <clears throat> you know, years into this star Trek renaissance streaming renaissance and right. still the conversation with everybody that i want to talk to start that i bring up star trek with is oh where, yeah where is that again like how do i watch right. that again and i'm like oh it's paramount plus and it used to be cbs all access and they're yes. like peacock and i'm like right. eh, just, i don't know just torrent it or right. whatever i don't know right and and well and the other part of that is that the days that the show was re- were released Discovery has moved around, has jumped around in terms of the release date 
several times already. Um, you know, and and it's only been a streaming ser- a show. So, uh, like, that's a weird thing that's happened. I don't understand why they've done that, but it is a thing that that has happened with that show. Um, and it, you know, and, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of communication about what's going on um over there and uh look we we love we love the series that are on on the on the service we love the service because it provides us with these series but the service at from you know objectively from a from a technical standpoint needs a little bit of work um and i think that the the people that are uh utilizing the service or, or administering the service could do a better job of communicating that to its subscribers um, because they have great shows like Halo, which uh, gives us an opportunity to, to plug a new project that was the brainchild of our very own Ty Monaghan. Uh, so Ty, uh, go ahead and, and tell us what we're doing. Yeah, so we have a new podcast that is called Forward Unto Quan, where Cicero and myself are joined by a professional writer of video games, Megan Watt, and we talk about the new uh, streaming series on Paramount Plus, Halo. Uh, We compare the timelines of the game universe and the show universe. Um, We make predictions about when we are going to see uh, grunts with birthday confetti popping out of their heads. Um, and we just generally have a good time reminiscing about our great experiences with the game Halo and critiquing uh, and appreciating the new streaming show Halo. So check us out on uh, streaming services wherever you're listening to this. Uh, search up Forward Unto Quan, and uh, we hope to be heard by you there. Right, exactly. Quan being K-W-O-N. Go ahead, Ali. K-W-A-N. I think K-W-A-N, yes. I think it's what's really interesting about also about what you were saying about Discovery in particular and being moved around is um, you know, that was that's been a problem for Star Trek for a while. I mean yes. both Next Gen yes. and DS9 being right. done straight to syndication were it wasn't just, you know, being moved around by the network, which happens. Um, right. but it was the syndicator showing them at totally different times. I mean, I yes. actually I mean I remembered watch I would watch DS9, I think it like 10 or 10 30 on Sunday night. And it was, you know, I'd watch it several days when it was new. I would watch it like several, it was like the repeat showing. And it was several days after the first showing. Cause whenever the first showing was for whatever reason, it just wasn't a good time. Mm-hmm. So I was always catching that like late night. And, and so it's <laughs> always, Star Trek's always had that to a certain degree. Uh, I mean, at least in that, uh, in the next gen era, it was certainly an issue as well. So they've, they've, they've managed to succeed because in spite of it, I mean, that's, that's what drove the episodic, issues with you know that's right episodic. i think the new and and voyager to a significant degree but um i think that's why you know obviously now with the newer series you don't have to worry about people missing episodes if they you know if right. they're five episodes behind they can catch up anytime so yeah that that changes it a little bit as far as uh you know before it was before it was more about missing episodes now it's about everybody can consume it so let's uh, you know, we, we need to make sure that everybody's had a chance to watch it before we talk about it or. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And well, you know, and, and um, being able to have like a, a, like a, a social con- contract about how long that the, the, uh, the, the statute of limitations are, or that, that grace period is, is kind of wholly dependent on 
our ability to know when the content's going to be available. And that's, you know, and that again is, is part of the issue with, with Paramount plus, um, Sorry to keep digging on them, but you know, they're basically I mean, look, holding back society at this point. Right, is they what are you're absolutely, absolutely are, um, well, and uh, what, they're the reason that we wind up uh, rioting in 2024. That's what's going to sure. happen. Well, <laughs> yeah. the other, the other funny, odd fact about Paramount that I, I just uh, sort of caught up with recently after um, uh, Howard Hessman from uh, WK yeah. in Cincinnati passed. Yes, I went back and watched. Uh, uh, head of the class which he started mm-hmm. and didn't wasn't he didn't necessarily like it but anyways i thought it was interesting <laughs> that two like two of the major folks that went through nickelodeon and paramount uh dan schneider and uh, brian robbins who's now the ceo of paramount uh is he really starring on that show yeah wow Wow, he he really moguled his way up. He mogul- I didn't realize that was the same orbit anymore. It's moguling his way up. Oh my gosh! Oh wow, I didn't realize that was the same. It was the same Brian Robbins. Yeah. Wow. Well, he was like he was producing game shows or something like that. Like right after Head of the Class, he directed and produced, and he did yeah. everything. He did some everything. I mean, that's wow. I mean, Star Trek. Star Trek has that as well, too, right? That you have yeah. especially on the directing side, but even on some yeah. of these other production, whatever. Um, there's a lot of the folks, you know, even the actors being able right. to give up, being given opportunities to do. Different- yeah, well, uh, well, the two episodes that we're we're going to talk about today were directed by Leah Thompson, so um of back to the future fame so like again and and um we we know as star trek fans of course that the you know the crew is littered with directors um that you know have cut their teeth directing star trek uh star trek episodes so um yeah so i mean congratulations to to uh uh, brian robbins i mean you've you've done it bro (laughs) so uh, Um, yeah, uh, so in other news, uh, Star Trek Mission Chicago is coming in a couple of weeks, uh, and, uh, everyone that is on our panel today, uh, will, will, is planning on being there, and, uh, I'm still waiting to hear back from, uh, Repop about my, about my credentials, but hopefully, uh, we'll, we'll be there. So if you are, are planning on going to Mission Chicago and, uh, can recognize the sounds of our voice, make sure you come up and say, uh, live long and prosper because you won't be able to see us. So, um, but, uh, <laughs> we should go, we should make sure we complain about Paramount plus while we're there so that Absolutely, people 100%. do recognize our yes, voices. That's easely recognizable. Right. Al- yes. Although unfortunately that may not be uh, a very rare thing. So we'll see. Right. <laughs> I, I'm not you. Right. It's the sea of the sea of Paramount plus picketers. Uh, <laughs> That's uh, it'll be, it'll be great. It'll be great. But, um, what, uh, what are you, uh, what are you most looking forward to seeing? Who are you most looking forward to seeing and who won't be there that you are wishing was going to attend Ali? Um, as far as people I want to see Kate Mulgrew for sure. I'm almost right. positive. I haven't seen her. Sometimes I forget cause I've been to enough that I, and most of them have had large enough uh attendees lists that sometimes I just forget who I've seen or gotten autographs from. I have to go look. All oh, right, I did I did actually meet that person. Um but uh yeah I, I'm pretty sure I haven't seen her and especially uh with her uh, recurrence on Prodigy and some of these yes. other things I'm really curious uh to hear what she's up to. Um and just generally all of the new track folks that 
uh, I think for a long time. I mean, most, some of the shows are so new that it's there hasn't been time, especially with uh, the last couple of years. But in general, uh, all the folks from the newer shows were for it. It seemed like even once Discovery was on, even once the reboot movies had come out five, six years ago, there was still like hardly anybody from the newer stuff would do any of the conventions. It was still all, you know, the first four shows basically, right, right. Uh, which is fine. Uh, but it's good to get some of these other folks out there. Uh, and there's, it seems like there's a pretty good distribution and balance. Uh, Will Wheaton would be the other one. I don't think I've, I've seen him before. Uh, okay. but, uh, yeah, as so anybody coming that you not there, I mean, I don't think there's anybody that's not there. That's alive that I miss, you know, everybody I've, I've seen, I pro- most everybody else I've probably seen at least once. Right. So. Um, I can't, I can't think of anybody that, you know, is still around that I've missed that I really want to see. Kate Mulgrew is probably the biggest one. Not, I mean, of the newer folks, you know, there's probably some of the newer folks that, uh, 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 could, could be there, but, uh, there's plenty of time for that. So, yeah. All right. What about you, Ty? Well, now I don't know because earlier I'd seen uh, Sonequa on the on some kind of list, but now I don't right. see her on the yeah. on the directory on the website. Um, I think that uh, you know I've never been to a convention, so everybody would be new to me. But I think she's the person that I would really feel like, holy crap! Like I, I would feel yeah. like just excited to be around and to see in person. Um, nice. But you know, really the disco cast is is who's exciting for me so david ajala um ian right. alexander and blue del barrio um for whatever reason i just i don't know they're the ones that are uh most exciting to be obviously cannot pass up uh it sounds like kate mulger is doing all kinds of stuff um so obviously want to um check her out possibly get a little photo there but yeah really excited to see uh, a lot of the discovery folks uh and so you know as far as as anyone i'm missing who i wish was there i I certainly hope sonique was there i guess we will see um but you know i mean like i said i've not been so for me like anybody from tng would be incredible um i don't know that there's uh, i mean will wheaton um i think that is about it from the next generation that yeah. I remember are from the list. So, well, you know, well, obviously it'd be that's, amazing. That's star too, but a mate, not a, not a, of the main cast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I, I guess for me is same as Ty. I've never been to a Star Trek convention. So meeting everyone is going to be great. Um, but uh, yeah, it seems like the list was much, much larger a few months ago. Um, and, and it has dwindled down. Obviously it, it, it makes sense. Uh, you know, I, I don't, uh, I don't knock any anyone who's decided in light of the fact that uh the the covid is still very real um you know choosing choosing their health over going to a convention you know is is the right thing to do for for lots and lots of people so uh yeah I, I don't begrudge anyone but like uh so my hope is to see I'm happy to see everyone that's there um, the people that aren't there, uh, everyone, the, the ones that I don't get to see are the ones that I wish were there as well. Um, but I think for me, the person I'm most excited to see is Anthony Rapp. Um, not only because, uh, like, you know, big fan of his work on disco, big fan of his work in general, 
but uh, a big fan of the fact that he is also playing D and D like I am. Uh, so like that, that would be cool to just kind of nerd out about fantasy stuff. I thought uh, for sure just, you would say Doug Jones. Oh yeah. Well, yes. I mean, uh, I am, I am team Saru um, to, you know, and until I get to Kaminar, but uh, actually, but, you know who's going to be interesting is uh, James Cromwell is supposed to be there, and I don't think I've oh. seen, I don't think I've seen him. Maybe he goes to Vegas or whatever, but I don't think I've seen wow. him on any of the convention lists before, even for other places. So, because huh. he, okay. you know, he had the movie, but then he also had a handful of guest roles, makeup, right. you know, in makeup, out of makeup. So he, you know, yeah. he's got more Star Trek credits yeah. than a lot of folks. Right. Uh, listen, if it, if it weren't for James Cromwell, we wouldn't be. There would be no Star Trek. There'd be. There's no warp drive. So, um, yeah, well, uh, uh, like for that other actor that played him in the original series, except for yeah, that. right. Yeah. That doesn't count. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but, uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, you know, so the bottom line is, uh, we, we're all going, we're excited. If you're going, please, uh, check us out and uh, take lots of pictures and let us know that you, you guys are going to be there. Um, but, uh, now it's time for us to talk about episodes Three and four of season two of Star Trek Picard. A reminder for our listeners that our episode discussions on Discovery Debrief are meant to be an accompaniment to your episodic viewing and not as a replacement for watching. Please be sure to have watched our subject show prior to listening to ensure that you get the most of our, out of our discussion. We begin with our crew in Confederation space on the wrong ends of the phaser being held by the magistrate and his cronies after already having shot Elnor. Seven and Raffi quickly dispatch these guards and the magistrate by turning those phasers back on their assailants, disintegrating each of them in the process. While everyone tries to get to get them free of the defense force and to L.A. 2024, Rafi sits with Elnor as he succumbs to his wounds. Is Elnor dead? And does it matter that he was shot by the same weapons that seem to dis- <laughs> disintegrate everyone else? Ali, I'll start with you. I mean, it's Star Trek, so he's obviously not completely dead. You right. know, we don't know how it's going to wrap at the very end in terms of where it's going to go. Um, there's always some possibility that they sort of loop it in where he, you know, come, comes back or whatever, but I, I you know, he's not going to just be like, Oh, we, what we get to the end of the season and whatever, you know, the, the conclusion is concludes. Oh, and he's just still dead. That's it. Like that's obviously right. not going to, he's going to have some, <laughs> you know, uh, we also, uh, uh, saw you know one of the other characters from season one just kind of show up in the first episode and then be like oh sorry you're not around oh yeah 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 um uh the the other android Issa Baranis was right. I forgot her character's name but uh yeah yeah Soji Soji and yeah. uh so she um so yeah we'll see we'll see where that goes as far as the weapons go I mean they can. I think they just use them how they need to use them. And it's always, it's always the exact right amount of uh, damage to do the most dramatic impact or the correct <laughs> dramatic impact. You know, if somebody needs to die slowly, cause that's what the episode calls for. If they need to just get vaporized, cause that's easier and they're right. alternate evil. So they just have to go and including her, her speaking of Isabriones, her real dad played, um, 
played the magistrate the magistrate or whatever. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so yeah, I don't think that matters. I think he's going to, you know, Eleanor's going to, especially the type of character that he is, right? Like he's, he's not quite ready for the grand heroic death, you know, the data death or whatever. Right. Um, it could go there eventually, but it's not there yet. Right. Ty, what, what do you think? Do you think Elnor's dead? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, it, he could die as a result of the events that we have seen, but if that's the case, he, you know, he'll get a, a some, some better death than that somehow. But I mean, to me, it just cuts at the heart of this, you know, question that I think we'll talk about a couple times in this episode, which is how much can you really do? I mean, I, look, I give Star Trek so much credit because they just they see a time paradox and they're like, let's do this right. Like every time. (laughs) Um, And, you know, Rafi has been asking about this, right? Like, is he going to come back if we fix everything? Is he going to come back? And they're like, I feel like they're all like, look, we do not know. But like, we can't say yes, because we like, you know, we don't want to get your hopes up and, and we don't know. Um, but you know, it just, for me gets to the issue. Like I'm ready to 2024 so far has gone better than I've expected. I'm Mm -hmm. ready to sort of get us back into the normal time stream because they have been so clear that this is not an alternate universe. This is an alternate timeline. And so how much can you do without invalidating, right? Like they can't invent all the series that have happened between TNG all the Star Trek that's happened between TNG and this point in Picard, that's a lot of stuff, right? Like, well, that's it's literally all of Star Trek. That's what I'm saying. Right? So, because none of it happens except for like Discovery, basically. <laughs> um, no, no, because again, just none of it happens. But uh, oh yeah, like if the 2024 stuff, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. But um, so you know, it's. I don't really know if like Elnor is dead or not. It kind of seems like definitely not, but um, it, it just like sort of is this lingering, like it, it's a really obvious way of asking the question of like, what, what from this journey to, to the past, our, our future, a couple of years in the future is gonna stick, you know, and um, how much of this was already predestined and, and whatever butterflies they release here are already baked into the Star Trek that we know right? versus how much is this messing with the Star Trek that we know, right? So uh, <laughs> the weapons are interesting. You know, I mean, he did die, you know? Yeah. But he didn't get yeah. disintegrated. I, I thought it Did you think it was alarming that they just disintegrated people? Like, yes. They didn't seem uh, alarmed yes. about that at all. I, I, but I thought right. that was yes. a pretty big escalation. I, yeah, as as did I. Uh, I thought that they, you know, they would use these phasers, and the first time someone disintegrated, I was like, "Oh, wait a minute, what?" <laughs> you know, like, like I thought oh. they were gonna look at their hand and be like, "Oh my god, I didn't mean to right. disintegrate yeah. that guy. Yeah. These, 20, and, these guns are crazy." Yeah, um, yeah, but, you know, but they couldn't. They couldn't keep. They couldn't. They knew they had to go to the past, and there was no way for those people to also be in the past with them. They would have just been liability. So they had to get rid of. Like all yeah, evidence, disintegrated. right? All evidence of of those particular people. I I definitely have the the same feeling that you guys had. Um, again, like like we said in the last episode, I think that television of today and and particularly Star Trek of of today has done a good enough job of killing characters, you know, seemingly important characters, uh, 
well enough and quickly enough and 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 uh, expertly enough that f- for at least more than a fraction of a second, I believe that Elnor could be dead forever. Um, and it is possible that he could be dead forever. But the one thing that I do appreciate about what the writers are doing here on this show right now is that they're having the characters in the episode ask the same questions that we, the viewers, are asking about the show. So, um, you know, so it, 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 at, at the very least, I'm comforted by the fact that the writers are having those conversations in the writing room when they're when they're uh actually writing the show so that means that those things are at least in mind uh as as the show is progressing um there's you know there's another episode or there's another instance in uh in episode 4 where Rios is talking to talking to uh I guess like a cop or something like that uh, the the ICE agent the immigration agent and he's he kind of just tells him the truth um, and he talks about the like the sentience and uh, or or like I don't know the biological construction of Jean Luc Picard and how he's really confused about what that is and uh, you know so am I uh, and it seems that nobody <laughs> nobody has the answers and Rios even says says as much uh, so I think that's great. Well, and that's and that's kind of one of the hallmarks of Star Trek. Like, yes, as far as the techno, like they push the techno babble as far as they can. They push the sci-fi as far as they can, but then get to a point and they're like, "How do the Heisenberg compensators work?" Very well, thank you. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, Absolutely. On the track. I can't tell you right now. The EPS conduits are burned out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> why do things keep exploding? Like, why is that the, the result of every single you know, thing? It's just, panels exploding i mean yeah um okay, that so is sense. but they've it, started it, it, in also, the in the new shows they've just started putting straight up just like flames on on the bridge like there's just like gas <laughs> yes, jets that ignite yes. when they get into trouble and just flame shoot out it's crazy <laughs> why not <laughs> and that's okay I you, mean, know, you know it's also like let's do what we can with what we have and the new shows obviously you know look better because they have better technology in the right. same way that the old you know shows look better than the first show and stuff like that but uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's pretty much. I mean, and, and Picard, I think in general, both in the first season and this, you know, when it's been good and bad and so forth, like it's been very Star Trek. Like, uh, yes, you, you can't yes. call it. You know, you could, people might criticize Lower Deck for being goofy or whatever, but even though it's fantastic, but you know, Picard is ultimately whether it's good or not, or whether you think it's good or not, it is very Star Trek in like the key like critical ways in terms of the structure, in terms of. How the you know how the conclusion like I I, I don't think I'm ultimately going to be that like by the time we get to the end I'm not going to be that surprised by the ending. Okay, I think that's and I think in a way that's usually good. Like it's they're not going right. to go. They may you know the only way that it is is you know whether or not they're going to conclude given the way they produce seasons two and three whether or not they're going to really conclude the season two storyline and how much they're going to conclude it versus right. rolling it over into season three. So that's sure. that's the big up. But given that they've announced that season three is it. Um, I think we kind of know like that's really where the story, it's like seasons two and three is going to be the arc. We'll see how they break it. But in the end, like, we'll again, by the time we get to the end, it'll probably be pretty, pretty clear how it's going to end. Yeah. Well, uh, but you know, before we get to the end, let's, let's talk about the journey a little, uh, aided by the Borg queen, uh, the CSS La Serena, 
uh, was able to go back in time and crash land at an uninhabited Chateau Bacard. While Rafi, Rios, and Seven tried to divide to hit the ground running to discover the whereabouts of the Watcher, Picard and Dr. Girardi stay on board to help resuscitate the downboard queen. Picard and Girardi devise a plan to reach the mind of the queen. Allow me to be assimilated is the plan. Uh, Picard says something about it only taking a few seconds for him to be reassimilated, but it could take a minute or so for Girardi's brand new mind uh, to succumb. So we, of course, get to see Alison Pill put on a hell of a performance playing as both the Queen and assimilated Girardi, or almost assimilated Girardi. Uh, everything seems to be fine, but tinfoil hat alert. What are your expectations for this relationship between Girardi and the Queen? Ollie, I'll, talk, I'll go with you first. Well, I'm yeah, I'm really curious because I mean the Borg and the Borg Queen are another thing, and, and you know another very Star Trek thing talking about pushing the boundary on the techno babble is also that you know they try they know their fans are very meticulous and you know everything is tracked and connected and all that stuff, and, and which allows them to do you know the entire season four of Enterprise is just fan service episodes and also to um, uh, you know have all these Easter eggs in in these these episodes references to other stuff. Um, but the Borg and the Borg queen and how that all works is one of those where it's very, it's, it's, they've sort of changed it to, you know, at first there wasn't a queen, like, why would there be a queen? And then for first contact, you know, the Borg, they're decentralized. That's not how they work. And then for, right. for first contact, they're like, well, actually they're like insects. So they have a queen. They're right. not just drones. Like, I mean, they're, they're not just, <laughs> they're not just a collective that's totally, you know, co-equal where all the you know, all the pieces are co-equal and work together. Like there's still somebody in charge, but then there's some sort of flexibility in how that all ties together. Um, I I did think the like, don't let me be assimilated part was funny because I I remember saying out loud when we were watching it, like, you know, Janeway and and Tuvok and, and Polana get way more assimilated than she got. So I don't know what she's worried about. Like they got super assimilated and they, that all worked out fine. Cause that's just how how your episodes go. Like, right. Even more. So, I mean, all the series do it to a certain degree, but that show definitely did it the most as far as like, well, everything's fine. Next episode. Right. Yeah. Next Um, episode. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it's, they've definitely found this, um, you know, it, now that they, in, in in the other shows when they were episodic or more episodic, it would be, you know, which handful of characters are going to be in this plot. And sometimes you'd have, you know, an A plot and a B plot and they'd be, they'd be broken up into groups or so occasionally more. But, um, you know, now with the, the, the continuous storytelling, like fully continuous storytelling, um, they're sort of, um, uh, you know, they, they, they're going to, they're going to go and sort of, ebb and flow in terms of the grouping and how they're going to, how they're going to interact. So they've, yeah, they've set up this Jurati and Borg queen uh, pairing, and then they've got, you know, the other groups and they're all sort of working, you know, side by side and overlapping as needed. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's definitely interesting. Both, both actors in that case are, are doing a really good job. And to, to the degree that like they've managed to make any of that stuff with the board consistent and make sense. Um, which, you know, they've mostly been okay at, uh, I think it's been very interesting and I think it works for where, for where they're at in the season and in the show. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, Ty, what, what do you, what do you think about, yeah. uh, 
I know Annie Wershing, who plays the yes. Borg Queen from Twenty Four, uh, and, oh, and right. obviously yeah. her and Alan Allison Pill, yeah, both great performances. Yeah, I do think they were really, you know, serving it up for us, right? Uh, they they make it clear when we jump uh, through the, you know, to the new Q time stream or whatever. Um, that Gerardi, I think the phrase she used was mind-bendingly lonely pretty much anywhere she goes. Uh, mm-hmm. And they made it really clear that she is a person who does not feel connected to other people. She feels very isolated, and they made it very clear that the Bork Queen understands that and is ready to use that to her advantage. Um, I'm actually really curious what you guys both think. I thought the episode sort of... Uh, let us think that yes, uh, Gerardi was sort of falling into that, but then there was this twist at the end, and for me, it was right. open to interpretation where Gerardi uh, is expected to then fulfill her part of the bargain and kind of chat with the board queen and let her in a little bit. And she says, I restricted your access again and walks out of the room. I read that a little bit more like Gerardi is um kind of puffing herself up and she's actually having a little bit of a you know she's she's having a hard time uh right. and kind of doing that from a place of uh emotion rather than uh as somebody who just drove a really hard bargain and is just being a cold-hearted negotiator who's not going to give the pork queen anything I mean, what how did you guys both interpret that part of the interaction Ali, what, what do you think? I actually, I read it more the other way. I mean, I, I definitely see what you're saying as far as that goes, and I think it's, it's, it's hard to say how much of each, but I, I definitely read it more that she was, and and not even like cold-hearted negotiating, but just being strategic. Like I, especially now that I've been briefly assimilated, but even before, like I understand enough about the Borg to know that <laughs> I got to be smart. But that her, her negotiation with the Borg queen was her playing the Borg queen. Really. Right. Like she's at least got to be as smart as, you know, space mom Janeway in order to, mm-hmm. in order to take <laughs> on the Borg queen. So right. she, she can't just be like, Oh, well I'll make a deal and then we'll chat and have, you know, fun conversations. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's definitely that other element that you mentioned as well to it and to the to the conversation and to the character. Well, yeah, there is there's almost kind of uh from at least from season 1, uh there's there's almost like a a sterile kind of like dispassionate version of Girardi that we I think kind of forgot about because of this kind of like will they won't they with Rios and like her affinity and affection for uh for Picard um but like that was part of her like she killed somebody she murdered Bruce Maddox yeah right right like she, you know so like and and was completely cool about it um so that was that's kind of what all of this reminded me of right yeah. and it was and it was it was done twice you know the first time obviously we're concerned for her when when uh she's inside the brain of the of the the board queen and picard is there trying to get her out and he finally gets her out and you know she's sitting there playing coy and then obviously has re- extracted the information that we needed uh that the the board queen was trying to use as leverage uh and it's like oh holy crap like sh- she's she's about this business she's about this life and then so when it happens the second time as she reneges on the deal that they made um like she I, I can definitely see it being played as that was done out of an abundance of fear like she was trying to overcompensate for 
how terrified she was of being assimilated or, or how, you know, like how deep inside of her the Borg Queen actually is. But I, but I think maybe it is that she's just, she's kind of like uncaring. She's, she's almost robotic in, in the way that she thinks about things. And yeah, and just from a negotiating standpoint, right, the Borg Queen has no leverage. Like the Borg Queen has no other option other than to go along with and help this crew, right? Uh, well, I, I guess, right? Because we, I, like, can the Borg Queen assimilate someone? Can she. Oh, just like start, get, start yeah, the Borg over? A, yeah, start the Borg over and get know. a drone army that will get her some legs and allow her to. <laughs> I think that's still a possibility for later in the season. I think that could still come up at some point. Right. But I think, you know, however you read the conclusion of her interaction with Jurati and the episodes that we've seen, I think it's pretty clear the Borg Queen is not done working that angle on Jurati. Oh, no. Yeah. 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 And I think yeah, some of it was just pacing, too. I think some of it was like, I'm going to walk out of the scene to drag this out to not just like immediately <laughs> dive into, you know, the next phase of the, the story in that part. Like it was just right. sort of you know, keep, keep the episode pace. I also, I also felt in the first season that the, the, the murdering was sort of the, the one, one part of her character where it like served the story more than it served the character. Like it was fine, mm. but I didn't like totally buy it. I sort of thought like, I agree. Okay, it made sense to do it. Um, but yeah, it, it, uh, it wasn't totally believable. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, so, you know, moving on, we, we get some foreshadowing about, uh, not bringing technology with you so as not to create any butterfly effects. And they immediately say, but here, bring these very large communicators with you. Make sure you wear them outside of your clothes so you don't forget it's there. Uh, and, uh, then Rios finds an altruistic love interest, or, or, or I mean, uh, a trauma doctor and uh, gets detained by ice uh, in an effort to find him. Rafi and seven steal a cop car and Annika shows that her ancestor must have been Danica Patrick because she somehow is an expert stunt driver. What a, what a prodigy. I know I sound like I'm dogging this, the episodes, uh, but I really had a blast watching you. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from our away team? Ty? Yeah, I don't, it's like she didn't understand. She said she didn't understand how to drive, but then she was a, an amazing driver. Right. Um, like, yeah, I don't know. So, like, there was like fun stuff going on in this episode, but like Ali just mentioned the pacing a minute ago. And for me, it was frustrating to see, like, like I, I, Patrick Stewart, you know, when he's on screen, it's just like riveting for me, right? No matter sure. like what he's doing. And he wasn't on screen very much. And I like the rest of this crew and I like the antics that they're up to, but it sort of just felt a little bit like, okay, these people are sort of running around doing this little RPG side quest, right? Like, Oh, you need to go mm-hmm. find the thing, but your friend got arrested. And so now you need to steal a car. <laughs> and so now you need to drive your car to the place, but Oh, they moved him. And so now you get, you know what I mean? Um, 
and so it was a little bit just sort of like okay where are we going right the stuff with the doctor was like yeah cute but like i don't know where do you get these cookies or these muffins or whatever on the top of the <laughs> fridge and he's just giving them to a kid and it was like all just very very strange well, they were but, real peanut butter man what are you talking about oh yeah that real peanut butter not replicated <laughs> right but um the the weirdest thing for me was and i say this as somebody who is not like a real life fan or defender of ice but it was weird for a star trek episode to go in so hard on a real world organization and just be like yep this organization is horrible the people who work for it are crooked horrible individuals and like they were very specific right like it wasn't the united earth customs you know division it was like they were like no man like they even had a character be like hey that's not the lapd that's immigrations and customs like super (laughs) specific and in a way that was like almost just sort of like i don't again like yeah that's fine like i don't I don't like ice either, but it, it became almost weird and distracting. <laughs> right. And like, they're getting into this, like, you know, Star Trek being about creating this specific history and like these events in the timeline that you remember and, and you take those events together and that's what makes up Star Trek. And like, I don't care about that. You know what I mean? Like I care about mm-hmm. like the big themes, like the stuff that we talked about in season one, like the like discrimination against these synthetics and like how Picard, you know, because of his unique experiences has this really unique perspective on that and is willing to fight for that. Um, despite, you know, this horrible, horrible thing that happened at the, the Mars shipyards or whatever. And, and to me, this whole episode, you know, like, it's been fun. Like I've liked it so far, but I'm mm-hmm. sort of like feeling ready for the away team's antics to sort of like wrap up and to like get back onto the main quest personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ali, what about you? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think all of the, the Star Trek episodes that have the, you know, time travel to a time that's close to our time have, a significant element of like, oh, let's let's do the thing that's in that time. Uh, you know, driving a car. You know, if you can pilot a starship, like driving a car is not that hard. Like maybe you don't know which one's the gas and the brake when you start, right. but you're going to figure it out in a second. If you haven't crashed, like you're probably going to be okay. Um, like they figure out, they go on like alien ships all the time. They're like, there's a language I've never seen, right. but somehow my <laughs> universal translator allows me to read this language. It just hits some buttons, and I can fly a ship that I've never been on. So if they can do that, you know, driving an SUV seems fairly plausible and it's a very uh you know all the other next gen and ds9 voyager episodes that did that but yeah they they as far as the ice thing i do think it's interesting that they were really they were specific in that because you know you could always just do oh lapd does something right and right or it could have been like a you know a private company or something right well or if and and they didn't have to write it as specifically as far as you know they could have law enforcement doing law enforcement stuff without being as clearly uh uh you know put put it putting them in a particular uh you know depicting them in a very particular way uh which you know may or may not be accurate but in any event yeah it's it's something that they've sort of danced around before they've always they've always sort of had this like well we create different histories and sometimes we go a little bit into the future you know uh, uh <laughs> original series said here's what's going to happen in 1999 in the future right. you know history and then uh you know the later show you know ds9 was like well here's what's going to happen in 2024 and now they're you know this 
this these episodes are making direct references to that without right. you know direct you know the sanctuary districts were were from that episode but again didn't like actually exist in either uh, you know, 96 or whatever, they made that DS9 episode or today, but yeah. they still refer to them as like, oh, of course, there are these districts where homeless, you know, people who don't have jobs or are homeless just get like, you know, warehoused in ghettos. And, uh, uh, but yeah, that they, that they pick like that one thing to be, you know, not just like a background, like, well, there's cops, so they're going to be LAPD or whatever, but like, like ICE and they're going to do like, you know, this particular type of law enforcement, I do think was, a, was an interesting choice. I mean, I think it's, you know, they, they want to try, it's a very uh, specific way to try to deal with these issues. Um, you know, DS9 had their, had uh, one, one of the most popular episodes, Far Beyond the Stars, yes, was uh, yeah. like sort of a vision episode, but it's set in, you know, the late 40s, early 50s. And it's about, you know, racism and, and the way that the various uh, characters are treated and, and how that all unfolds in that plot. And, uh, uh, again, like it's some of it, some of it is generic in terms of the, you know, the police Alimo and Combs are just, just cops. They're not like really making a strong, I mean, they're making a statement about it, but it's not like you, you know, you particular police officer, you particular group is bad. You know, they're sort of just using them more archetypally. Um, this goes a little bit beyond that, but I think it still makes sense. Sure. Sure. Uh, well said. Uh, I, yeah, I, it is interesting uh, to see how how deliberate the the ice references have been in this episode, and and one thing that you also said, Ty, that that uh, really kind of resonated with me was like, yeah, you want to see the away team get back on on the mission, but I think you're right. Like their mission now is to find Rios and figure that whole thing out, um, because Picard has left the ship. And he's on the mission, right? Like he's completing the thing that they were supposed to be doing in the first place. He's already found the watcher. Um, so they've got nothing to do but to, you know, not leave their equipment around all over the place. Right. And that's that's another thing. So like their thing, their mission, their jobs right now are to rescue Rios, Seven and Rafi, to rescue Rios, and then once they rescue Rios. They have to now try and retrieve his com badge. This whole storyline is a real testament to the accuracy of Starfleet officers who have been transporting people in all of the other Star Trek properties that we've seen with pinpoint accuracy because Rios, I mean, all he did, he was just like 15 feet too high in the air. And right. <laughs> yeah. look where we are. Yeah, I, I mean, I also, yeah, I also smelled that one coming like, oh, you know, w- what a great joke. You know, uh, uh, Girardi says, well, we're going to be able to transport you. I don't know how accurate it's going to be. Of course, we're in France and we're transporting you to L.A. I can't really pinpoint it. I was like, yeah, somebody's definitely he got going messed to, up. Like, right. Yeah. Someone's definitely going to, like, be transported into the middle of the air or, like, over a cliff or something. Like something ridiculous, they, and they played it for yeah. a joke. They played it for a joke before. Like TNG did it a few times, as right? You know, oh, Jordy materialized upside down. Haha, Okay, we got him down. Move on. Like, right. Not, it doesn't um, like, strongly influence the plot, but yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. They they do like using the transporter for all sorts of they. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I was I was actually yeah kind of surprised with the the brutality. Like it, you know, Rios falls. He tries to you know uh, catch himself. And then he falls down and is like a pool of blood, you know, under him. I was like, wow, uh, that's a thing. Um, 
one thing I, I do want to call out that that was nice was a nod to the aforementioned um, uh, a voyage home, where there Rafi and and Seven are sitting on the bus, and the a song that is playing in homage to the song that was that was being played on the bus in a voyage home by a punk rocker who had a mohawk, uh, and and. Uh, Seven gets to say the same line that Leonard Nimoy uttered. Uh, Can you turn that noise down? Uh, But this time, the punk rocker, instead of being being obstinate, is is completely apologetic, and uh, and turns out to be a, a a pretty nice dude, just a really nice fellow. Well, and this was this was one of those cases where they, unlike with. Bruce Maddox in the first season, they actually got the same actor. So I think. Oh, really? Get out of here. I think think the canon on this is that because it's an alternate timeline and because um, everything was different in the future. So Voyage Home never happened. So. Right. Rock was never around to you know nerve pinch him into stopping to blast his punk rock. He just kept doing it for forty years until the nice you know the nice right. her mom couple comes along right. and politely tells them just tells him stop. He's like what are, what am I doing with my life? And then he right, right. that's that was that was pretty good. Oh uh, yeah, all right. Well, that's, speaking of Easter eggs, I mean that was that was one that I was definitely a fan of. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even realize that. I, I didn't even make the connection, but that's awesome. That is that is great. Um, the other thing that uh, I, I'm I'm kind of taking away from this is this feeling that maybe not everybody's going to come back with them um, when when they when they return, and you know we'll talk about that. I guess when we when we talk about predictions at the end of this this episode, spoilers for this episode, uh, there there are predictions at the end of it. Um, so uh, let's. Let's get into uh, some Guinan talk. Guinan is back again, but it's and she is younger than ever. Uh, Picard meets up with Guinan at Ten Forward Avenue, which should retroactively be put in historical society uh, since it's in the exact same place where Picard meets Guinan in the future, four hundred years later, um, furnishings and all. Right. Like it's just the exact same place. It's almost like they shot it on the same day. Um, convinced that she is the watcher and and thus breaks. So he's convinced that she is the watcher and thus breaks protocol to explain who he is. Pedantic continuity time, even though I don't have the music. Um, in TNG's Time's Arrow, part one and part two. Picard and Guinan meet in 1893 for the first time in San Francisco uh, chronologically. But 2024, Guinan doesn't seem to remember this. Do you have a problem with that? Uh, Ty, I'll go with you first. No, you know, I'm not your pedantic continuity guy. Uh, yeah. These are all just, just characters, many of which I love. Um, they go on sometimes zany, but but often, uh, you know, heart-filled adventures together. Um, if there are 10 different origin stories about how Guinan and Picard meet and none of them... Uh, make any sense together and they're all mutually exclusive uh, that doesn't bother me I don't I don't need to know which one is canon um, I can just enjoy all those stories um, so you know from the perspective of trying to figure out what's going on and enjoying this season of Picard um, you know I, I think they've made it 
pretty clear who who knows and who remembers what. So I'm I'm just fine to go along with that for now. But uh, yeah, I think Ali know, knows more about this than I do, um, and I'm just sort of you know it's it's not a big deal to me. Yeah, well said, uh, Ali. Please take us to class, sir. <laughs> well, it, I think it's interesting because that was one of the few. Like TNG was so episodic. But they had, you know, a few running threads and one of the running threads for five seasons what, or four seasons, I guess, because we'll be joined in season two was right. that, you know, they've known each other for a long time and they specifically make hints at it. You know, it's not just like, oh, Pulaski, you know, dated Riker's dad. Ha ha. You know, but it, right. they really like they that was one of the few things where they're like, we're going to drag this out and we're not going to just, you know, explain it right away, but we're going to reference it. And then they you know made a point of like here's this two-part episode we're actually going to explain it and we're going to explain it using time travel so um which i think was good i mean i really like those episodes i think they work really well and i think that the 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 time travel x you know the predestination paradox or whatever time travel explanation works just fine for that um i think it also works and makes sense that like I was saying earlier that because the future in this, in this timeline, like it's, it's confusing because they're trying to stop this change from happening, but like in the timeline, it's already happened. So they have to, it's like, they have to fix, they have to change it back. It's like, right. Um, so everything else in that time, in the future of that timeline has changed. So none of the, none of the time, we can assume none of the time travel that happens in their original timeline happens. It, you know, happened. So like voyage, right. voyage home didn't happen. Uh, time zero didn't happen. Uh, uh, past tense on DS nine didn't happen. Uh, Voyager and Sarah Silverman and Ed Begley jr. Didn't happen. (laughs) So like everything that was in that era, all the, all the versions of that, that they've done, uh, all the other TOS timeline, uh, time travel ones I'm forgetting because I don't know if I've seen them all. Um, that, that city and the edge of forever, whichever it is. Yes. Um, yes. So that, you know, the, none of those happened. So it makes sense now that like she was still on earth for a long time. She'd been on earth for a hundred or whatever years, maybe before she was apparently going to up and leave. And, uh, because nobody went back like that, that she was just there and she never had to like go get, you know, the only reason she ended up with the whole like crazy paradox in time zero, like the only reason she like needed rescuing by Picard and them like having this deep relationship is because, um, they were there in the first place. So if they weren't there, she right. would have just been, you know, chilling with Mark Stunning. Twain and, yeah. and, right. and throwing parties and then going on with the rest of her life that would have happened between then and, and this current character. So I think it's good. Right. I think it makes sense. I think, um, I think that the new casting is good, right? Like they weren't going to CGI whoopee, like it totally makes right. sense to have new casting. And I think that's good too. Uh, so no, I think so far it's been, it's been good on that front. Once you like sort of <laughs> try to, again, like try to get all the time travel pieces and how they fit or don't fit together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it all started when uh, Leah Thompson's dad hit John Luke Picard with the car. Great Scott. Uh, <laughs> great Scott. Right. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I think, I, I think having having Leah Thompson, I saw that that ad for that new Netflix movie with uh, that Christopher Lloyd guested in that new um, uh, the the Ryan Reynolds or whatever it was. I think. And uh, oh yeah, they did an ad. They did an ad with Christopher Lloyd. That's a reference. And I I thought that ad was fantastic, but. Leah Thompson okay, directing yeah. these two episodes is even better. So credit, yes. credit to them for saying like, we're really, we're just going to do it. We're going to hire yeah, her. She's, that's, a, she's a good director. We can work. We're, we're going to definitely get her. Yeah. And, and, you know, to that point, I, I think, you know, we don't, I, I, I didn't put in the outline to talk about the direction, but there, there's nothing 
there's nothing negative to say about the direction. It was, it was, it's been very, very good. Uh, these two episodes. Um, but I, I don't know necessarily that I would say that they were spectacularly shot or anything like that, but they were, they were good episodes. I, you know, I did enjoy them. Um, but, and, and it is great that she was able to direct the, the two, like, here's these are the time travel episodes or at least the beginning of the time travel episodes uh presumably we'll have we'll have them going back to the future um at at some point and the best star chases i've seen in star trek episodes really well yeah well that's true. true and part of the reason is that you know star trek has always had whatever series they've been doing they've always had a very distinct you know visual style and so and the directors you know they had a lot of repeat directors it wasn't just a, a couple but it was a significant number of directors that directed lots of episodes and right. so that's that's also why the actors getting into directing uh was I mean, other shows have this have this as well, but Star Trek really always focused on it. That like there was a way that it was shot, and once you've been on the show for a couple of years, you're like, okay, like I know I if 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 I know how to direct, like if I know anything about directing, if I can learn anything about directing, like I, not that it's easy necessarily by any means, right. but that it's very well uh, established and very well, you know, there are definitely episodes where they clearly break out of it and those those stand out. And of course, you know, the newer shows have different visual style than the older shows for obvious reasons but um yeah that's that's always been something about star trek as well that they really they develop that style and then they they kind of stick with it for whatever show they're working on yeah yeah uh and uh well uh hopefully leah thompson will be back and uh you know we'll be able to see her directorial stylings in in the star trek picard universe again um the other person that we get to meet finally is the watcher in in quotes and it looks like a human laris is this really the watcher is this is the watcher really human is laris really the watcher ali i'll, I'll start with you man oh you're you're muted sorry up until now she's been uh she's been uh um a romulan and so right. yeah i don't i don't I think it's unlikely that she's like just a human. I think it, she may be some sort of other supernatural being. Uh, I think, you know, the term watcher in this context probably suggests something more than just like some person who just happens to be, you know, a normal human or Romulan or both or something. Um, And we, I mean, they already referred to her character right in the earlier episode, maybe it was episode two. And when Picard's trying to figure out where she went, he's talking to, to the android and he says right. uh you know the same thing he's like oh well there was this one and you killed her whatever and you know right. when she was right. on Romulus. so like they they'd established like that sort of character is also existing in this alternate timeline and having been there um but yeah whether she's also some sort of supernatural being i think remains to be seen yeah i had yeah. forgotten about confederation that mention of confederation timeline laris um what i did remember was i I think guinan said something like the watchers like she says something along the lines of like they fancy themselves as like guardian angels right Right. um and so it seemed like to me where the show was trying to lead us was that the laris we knew was actually some yeah like some incarnation of some 
I don't know, sort of like benevolent type of Q being uh, who can uh, maybe not be quite as powerful, but has some of the same abilities to travel and, uh, you know, uh, travel through time and space. Um, you know, that said, she seemed pretty uh, upset. Um, so she can't be, you know, uh, Q doesn't generally get that upset because he's he's like in control of so much stuff, right? Um, right. She seemed pretty like pretty irritated that that picard was there um and so suggesting like sort of an interesting i'm not sure what kind of relationship you know um so yeah i'm i really have no idea like i said it feels like that's where the show is leading us but it also seems like probably not the full truth (laughs) yeah uh speaking speaking actually speaking of q um at the end of the episode, we do get to see a frustrated Q where it, it seems like he is trying to do his Q thing on, uh, in 2024 LA, uh, kind of watching over everyone as they're getting into their, uh, mishaps. Uh, and he can't seem to do anything himself, like that he's losing his power. Um, I, I guess. This is, it's a kind of like a two-parter that gets into our, our final, uh, questions. Like, what, what's going on with Q? Like, what is time to speculate? The, the first part is what's happening with Q, Ty? What, what do you think is his problem? You know, I wish I knew. I mean, it seems like he kind of put him, you know, he altered the time stream and now he's kind of stuck himself here, right? Is sort of the, impression that i get and so maybe he's a little bit uh in in over his head maybe um Mm. but you know i really and with soji's appearance in the first episode and then not appearing again i it would seem bizarre for there to be no connection at all between soji and this journey back to 2024 but i have no idea what that connection could be i mean they haven't given any hint that in this universe in 2024 some new ai is revealed or some you know something that gets us on the path to the androids we we know um so i don't know and and i'm you know like i think i mentioned earlier this journey back to 2024 and stuff has been fun uh it's honestly been more fun than i expected when i saw some of the first trailers from this season but I am sort of like growing impatient, I guess, you know, I kind of feel a little bit of, uh, you know, I, I have some empathy for Bon Capitan um, right. right now because I'm, I'm a little impatient with this kind of journey that Q is leading us on. I would like him to sort of get to the point. Um, and it's hard for me to see the connection that we are supposed to be making about something fundamental about Jean-Luc's character, but then also that has resulted in a change in the time stream well before Jean-Luc was alive. Um, so I don't know that I have a prediction. I guess I, I hope that we get back to uh, the, the prime normal time stream sometime in the next two episodes. <laughs> So I'll make that my prediction and hope that we will it into existence. Ali, what's wrong with you? No, oh well, yeah. So there's there's a lot of different pieces there, right? So you've got there's the early reference when Picard is saying like, oh, he seems different. He seems like you know something's wrong with him, not just like his normal mischievous self. 
maybe going up against Mariner on lower decks. And he's, she said, you know, go, go bug Picard. He's like, it just like unhinged him or something. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, in the, in the past, in the past, they've done the oh, Q's powers don't work or a Q's powers don't work. And it's usually been related to, you know, the rest of the Q continuum being, you know, you're, you're, you're omnipotent when you're Q, but numbers still matter. So more Q are stronger than fewer Q. And so they can, you know, there's, there's some possible larger intervention that Q that can be preventing him from having his powers or from using his powers in some way. It could also be sort of like you said, like, like something's gone wrong and he's like losing his powers. Um, but that, you know, those could also be sort of related. Um, I, I think, you know, I'm interested as sort of, sort of, sort of more general predictions. Um, I'm interested to see, like, I think the, I, I like, I, I think the, whatever the watcher is, is something like of a supernatural, you know, not just a normal person that is like, not, or not like, you know, Guinan's a listener, but she's, you know, she's an El Orion. Uh, and, uh, but you know, that's sort of like a description, but she's still just a humanoid. She's not, you know, she doesn't, and she, she's clearly got some sort of, you know, the couple times she's interacted with Q because she's got this like temporal knowledge. Like she's sort of like, right. she's sort of like, you know, Betazoid plus in that she's got like kind of superpowers, but she's not like clearly omnipotent. She's got like slightly better superpowers than the Betazoids do. Uh, but it's not exactly, they've never been super clear on what they are other than that they're related to time and, and obviously some of the stuff that Q does. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the watcher or watchers is going to be something more, you know, than just a, a humanoid. It's going to be something of a supernatural level. Um, the two, the two pieces from the various teasers and ads, pre-series teasers and ads that I spotted or had helped spotting that I am still the most interested to see how they tie in. One is we know Spiner's going to show up, you know, raggedy Spiner's right. going to show up probably in the 2024 setting. And based on the, I think based on the clip, if I remember correctly, like it looks like he's going to interact with Q and that, or at least he's going to interact with somebody and that that interaction is going to be the, you know, probably related to, if not the change in the timeline, like it might not be that exactly, but it's going to probably have some impact. I think some of the stuff um, that they talked about in the earlier, in the, in the early parts of, Picard episode three, where they're like trying to find what's going on and they send them off on the mission to LA in the first place uh, is, you know, that they're still not totally sure. And I don't, I don't think what they're looking for is just the watcher, like to your earlier point about um, they need to get back to the main timeline or to them. I'm sorry. The, the away team needs to get back to the main story mission. I, I think <laughs> they're still like, they're going to stumble on or, or, or connect back with some of that other, you know, now that we can get back to searching for that thing we started searching for, which isn't just the watcher, but is also these weird sensor readings or whatever. Um, that's probably going to lead to something along those lines. Um, the other like deep wish that I'm, I'm still not sure how they're going to fulfill it. Like I can't, I can't believe that it's a total fake out. Like there has to be something to it was one of the very early teasers where it's like a uh, uh, like a panning shot over Picard, or it was I don't know if it's supposed to be Picard's house or something, but it was like showing different artifacts, and one of them was clearly like a Bajoran, you know, prophet artifact, <laughs> and so mm. like we know a lot of things are changed in this timeline, like this, like I said, all the people from the future didn't come back to the past. 
but based on the DS9 history, like the prophets should still be around in 2024, this earth, like they're not anywhere near right. earth, but they also have this, like we know Cisco, right? Cisco's referred to what maybe in episode two, or I think it was episode two. It was like call captain Cisco. So like right. there's, there's this, they, they've always had, that's also been the other like Q like beings that they've had sort of this long running story with, and that they've always kind of fudged when they needed and, and, you know, it, it just seems like I don't know that they want to bring them together. Like if I were writing it, I would want to bring them together, but that's not necessarily <laughs> like what they're going to do. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious, you know, you would think if the timeline's getting messed up with and these prophets can see across time and space and whatever, and like they're, they're nonlinear time, like you'd think they'd be, even if it's just queue up to his old antics, like you'd think they'd have some opinion on it at some point. And they've always been depicted as being pretty powerful, like at least you know, in the neighborhood of the queue. So right. like, could they be the watchers? It's possible. I wouldn't be shocked if like somehow or some version or some connection to there made sense. Like that sort of like what they were the sort of the watchers for Bajor. They were like the super beings that looked over this one planet. Um, sure. But then they picked a guy from this other planet to be their <laughs> emissary. And so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's unclear. I mean, I'd love if Avery Brooks came back. That's just like, I would, yeah, I would, I would fall on the floor if that happened. I don't know if it's going to happen, right. but that would be the best connection. But even if they just connect it back to that, like I still, I feel like that's got to fit in somewhere. I think, uh, yeah, as far as whatever the time changes, I do think like, yeah, something technology, if it's Spiner, it's probably a Sung ancestor. They already did that on Enterprise. So it's, you know, it's like, hey, we're going to give you the technology for Androids in 2024 or something along those lines, right? Could, could definitely happen. And it's like, hey, you can, instead of creating uh, uh, cons, superhuman children, you can create Androids earlier. And that's going to be the, 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 the time change. So, yeah, there's a lot of different ways they could go. I, I, they've mostly shown, well, I don't know. I mean, in season one, they, they, they kind of kept to, to the, uh, they kind of kept to the, uh, 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 you know, they, they didn't always go exactly where you thought they were going to go with some of those, things, right, especially right. in the middle of the season. So, uh, like I said, by the end, it was kind of clear. Some of the stuff that happened at the end was, was pretty obvious how it was setting up, but in the middle, yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure where it's going to go in the next couple episodes. And that's, ex that's exactly where we are, where we have just completed episode four of 10 episodes. Uh, Ty, do you, uh, any final thoughts? Do you feel like, uh, you know, again, uh, what we do know is that we are going to see Brett Spiner. Um, it did seem like it was going to be in, in 2024. So it was it more than likely be a, a Sung ancestor, Ugh. maybe ancestor. But uh, did you have any ideas or or, or and, and let me just ask, add this extra part. When does Girardi take her rightful place as the new board. Yeah, that's what I want to talk about. I can't keep track of, you know, I, I already can't keep track of what's going on with these timelines, so I don't need some other soon popping up and convoluting <laughs> everything even more. Uh, I think Gerardi is going to end up um, you know, in a fit of, I don't know, something. Uh, revenge, peak, uh, you know, just, just being tired of being antagonized. <laughs> I think she is going to end up um, really leaving our crew in a bad spot when she uh, takes the Borg Queen out. She's going to do something to the Borg Queen uh, to kind of incapacitate or otherwise damage her, take her out of play um, when they still when they still need her. 
Um, so that's that's my prediction. They're going to fake us out. The Jurati's going to go in, and she's going to she's going to be drawn to the lure of the belonging in the community of the Borg. But really, she's actually delivering like a death blow to the Borg Queen right at the time when they need the Borg Queen the most. So that's my that's my big prediction. Okay. All right. Well, my big prediction is that uh, Christopher Rios is going to stick around for love, and uh, you know. W- Instead of being a captain of a starship, he's going to be a uh, you know an emergency a field medic in a in a clinic for undocumented laborers uh, in in 2024 LA. He's going to fight the good fight and and stick around. But will he become uh, his own grandpa? That's the key question. Yeah, that is that is no, he'll become his his own great great grandpa. So <laughs> maybe three greats. Um, and, and that's, that's where, that's where we're going to leave off. Uh, I, I am still having a, a blast with this show. Um, I've really loved the crew. I know that, uh, Ty was saying that he, he loves when he gets to see Picard and as, as do I. Um, but we know that the show is only, this series is only going to last for three seasons, but I hope that what we lose is 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 Jean Luc Picard because Patrick Stewart's like, all right, that's all I I've got energy for. Um, but we get to keep this crew um, because I think all of these characters have uh, complexity and 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 troubles and uh, um, lots of different things that make them immensely watchable. And and likable, and I, you know, I'd love to be able to see them kind of do their own thing in in some capacity above and beyond Picard. Uh, so so I hope that we that we get to keep them around. Um, anything else from you guys before we wrap up? All right. Well, uh, that brings us to an end of this episode of Discovery Debrief. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. And if you would be so kind as to like, share, and subscribe to our feeds, we would greatly appreciate it. If you subscribe in a place where you can leave a review, please do, and we'd be honored to read it on the podcast at a future date. I want to take take this time to thank our special guest, Ali Nagib. Ali, please plug anything that you'd want. Here's your here's your moment. This camera, this camera, this camera. <laughs> Uh, I'd, I'd just like to make a general plug for involvement, civic, political, volunteer activism. I think, you know, we're not going to get, uh, anything resembling the Star Trek future of the 24th century if people don't make it happen. And it's, it's great to watch these shows and to think about, especially when so much of sci-fi is dystopic or is just, you know, negative towards the future in various ways. And that Star Trek is pretty universally positive, even when it goes on, you know, some of the, the darker sides, it still, um, you know, tries to have a relatively positive, optimistic view. Um, but, you know, people, people, people like us got to make that happen. Uh, so I would just say plug getting involved in things that are bigger than yourself. And, and in a short statement, you get to see why I admire Mr. Ali Nagib as much as I do.
Ali, thank you so much for joining. And I hope that, uh, you know, we, we get to bring you onto our bridge, uh, you know, at some point in the future. So if you thanks for having me, it's been a blast. Yeah, not a problem. Well, uh, stay tuned to this feed as we look to come back with more regular recap episodes of all things Star Trek, including the ongoing adventures in season two of Star Trek Picard and the upcoming Star Trek Strange New Worlds. But until then, go boldly.